Hello and welcome to The Luxury of Choice, a business-to-business sales skills and tips podcast brought to you by the training team of George James Limited. My name is Steve Vaughan and I'm a senior sales trainer for George James. This is the second of our mid-month interview shows when I interviewed a subject matter expert on topics that we think you, the listener, will find of interest. Today, we're going to look at the world of life science marketing and therefore I'm delighted to welcome onto the show Martina Neville. Martina runs Debtor Consults, a specialist life science marketing business. Hi, Martina. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Steve. I'm very excited to be here and, as you know, talk about my favourite subject. And that's marketing, not cheese. Folks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, cheese is the number one, but yeah, life science marketing is number two. For the, for the list, I should explain. We had a little chat on LinkedIn this morning about today and, uh, <laughs> and uh, the subject of cheese came up. Well, we're not going to talk cheese. We're going to talk life science marketing. <laughs> so you and I have interacted for quite a while now through LinkedIn, and I think you know some of my colleagues uh, um, as well, but I think you know Prue well. But for the listener, perhaps who doesn't know, you know who you are, perhaps just give us a bit of an intro as to yourself and the business that, it, that you run. I have been in marketing for quite a few years. I'm in life science marketing now, but I actually started out in the fashion industry many, many years ago. Yeah. So I started out in 2005, 2006 for a fashion startup and I was responsible for growing the business. And of course, a lot of that was marketing. This is like proper old school marketing, you know, talking to people, things like that. (laughs) Um, But yes, so I then, as you know, I went to university and I became a scientist because that was what I always wanted to do. Sure. But I missed the kind of creativity that comes along with marketing and I decided to combine the two. And yeah, I've spent the last few years in life science marketing and now I have my own company, which is Debtor Consult. The concept of that company is that we offer marketing training specifically to the life science sector. Right. Of course, with that, we do consulting as well, because that's a natural progression from the training. But the main focus of the business is training. Interesting. So obviously, there's a bit of an overlap with what we do in that respect. <laughs> yes, yeah, but I don't do sales training. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely don't do marketing training. So. <laughs> I guess product management is the area where there might be a bit of uh, a bit of overlap between what you do and what we do. So, yes. well, that's really interesting, and thanks thanks for sharing your journey there, uh, Martina. So, let's just wind it right back to sort of fundamentals, if we can, for a second. And you know, I've worked for a number of companies over the years where there's been sales teams, there've been marketing teams, and often there's been quite a chasm between the between the two things, really. So, what in in a very sort of loose way of defining what is marketing, and, and, and you know, why do companies need to think about marketing in our business? That's a really good question. And it's a really great one to answer because often people think of marketing as a series of tactics. So they right. think, they think, oh, it's like doing a website. It's sending out a load of emails. But you have to remember that these are kind of endpoints to something. Marketing really should be at the formation of the business. Who is our market? How do we orient ourselves for that market? How do we position ourselves? It's all of the strategy that should be early on in the business is marketing. Right. But most people miss that part and see the part at the end where it's like, let's generate a lead through our website. Got you. So it's often far more important than people realise because of those early stages of strategy. Because, you know, without that, it's difficult, you know, even for yourself as a salesperson to know who your audience is at the start. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I think it's a big, big subject. And yeah, it's often overlooked and it has quite a bad reputation in many cases. (laughs) Surely not. No, surely not. (laughs) 
So what you're kind of saying, and, and, and you know, I did do a marketing diploma some way back in the dark ages, I think, wow. uh, long, long, long time ago. But what you're kind of saying, I think, is marketing really is your fundamental business philosophy, what it is that makes you different, your strategy. Yes. And the stuff that is the end product, like the website, LinkedIn, social media, is the mark comms, marketing communications part of it. Is that, have I got exactly. that right? Yeah, it's exactly that. So obviously, all of those areas come together to form your marketing. And at different times, you'll be using different different tactics. But yes, I think the most important part is seeing that bit before you get to the tactic stage and understanding so it, it, that it really happening. underpins your fund, fundamental philosophy, your, your fundamental reason for being, really. And I guess you can almost see sales as being a branch of marketing there in that respect. Uh, yeah, yes. be... why don't we go with that? <laughs> that would be controversial, I'm <laughs> That's sure. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> i wait for the, uh, for the emails to flood in on that You're going to be lynched. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in the companies I work for, you know, I've worked for big companies, I've worked for small companies, I've run my own company in the, in the past as well. And I've seen marketing and sales kind of work well together, but often not so well. There's almost been this sort of chasm between marketing and sales really and what's your views on that what's your experiences and how can those departments work better do you think it is a problem um there are people that say it's not a problem and that's because we don't want it to be but there's no doubting that this is an issue in many companies and often the larger the company gets the bigger the problem gets as well because departments become more and more siloed and less connected. So, you know, in early stage companies, it might not be such a problem because the same person doing your sales might also be involved in the marketing. Right. There's kind of that connection. For me, I mean, it's so obvious to say, but the biggest issue that I see here is the lack of communication between the two departments. Right. Often one department doesn't truly understand what benefit of the other department is. Now, of course, with sales, it's very easy because you go, well, they just generate revenue. They go out and they get sales and, and there's revenue. And it's very easy to look at that and directly attribute what they do to money. And I think with marketing, that's so much more difficult because you're talking about all the touch points before that happens. So Got it's you. very different, yeah. difficult to tie it to revenue. So typically, the things that you know I've been told myself is that um, marketing generates rubbish leads and they aren't leads that we can work with. And then marketing doesn't understand why sales does nothing with the leads that they generate. And none of them actually work towards a common goal. This is the other issue. So sales will have their goals and marketing will have their goals and they've never actually spoken to one another or sat down and said, what should we aim for together collectively? And, you know, said, oh, we'll aim for percentage of sales, year on year growth, whatever revenue, this many leads in this many timeframes. And even things as simple as marketing saying to sales, what do we need to do to tighten up this lead generation process? From your perspective, who do we need to eliminate from this process and not allow them to become a marketing qualified lead? Fascinating. And I think, again, from my own experiences, I can think of exactly the kind of scenarios that you've described. Yeah. Oh, you're marketing. You, all you do is generate rubbish leads for me and a marketing saying to sales, what have you done with those leads? You know, we sent you 50 leads last month. Where are they all? What's happened to them? All? So, exactly that. So how can, how can organisations get better at this? Does it, does it make sense for them all to be under the same leadership, for example, then? I think you can have, you obviously have different levels of leadership. So we often see mm. like sales, you know, we'll have a sales leader and then there's like marketing mm. director. 
And I don't think it's necessarily that they need to have the same leader, but there needs to be some way that they can come together and have regular contact, you know, potentially. And I'm not just talking like every few months, someone comes out and does an update and just reels Mm. off, this is what we've done for the last quarter, because that isn't helpful and it's not engaging. So there actually needs to be discussions. It's obviously going to depend how big the teams are, because if there's hundreds of of salespeople, you're not going to have a meeting with all of these people. But the key people within the team perhaps need to come together and say, okay, what do we need to do to move forward? What KPIs can we set jointly? Sure. You're talking to the customers, you know, the sales team. What, from your perspective, what is it we need to change and do? It's really difficult and it's not going to happen overnight. But I think like most business issues, it all comes down to a lack of communication and people thinking that their department should be siloed. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I can exactly relate to that. And often, the bigger the company, the more the silos seem to happen as well. Really, so yeah. So let's uh, let's look at the world of life science marketing in particular, because I know that's you know you've got a PhD in that in that in that mm-hmm. area. That's your specialist area. So from the, the the vastly expanding and growing and diverse world of life sciences, you know, what are the biggest challenges do you see from a marketing perspective there for a business that's trying to grow its business in life science? The biggest challenge, which is probably the one nobody thinks about is the attitude of people in life science marketing or in life science companies. Wow. Okay. Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I realised I've just thrown (laughs) a spanner in the works there. I mean, depending on the stage of company we're talking about, but let's say we're talking about earlier stage companies, people that have come from the lab from a research environment, they cannot see the benefit of marketing at all. They think it's absolute nonsense. Now, I can say this because I also thought it, and I've spoken about this actually on another podcast, but so obviously I had a marketing background and then I moved into research and mm-hmm. research in academia, you are you become very blinkered to the outside world and you're just so focused on your research, your lab, and you just cannot understand the benefit of all this other noise and nonsense. And I think changing those attitudes is really difficult. So life science marketing is about a decade behind other types of marketing because we're still trying to convince them that they actually need to do it to grow their business. So is it almost a case of that they've got some fantastic technology and I can think of companies that that I work with that probably – you know, would, would, would fit this profile, that they've got some unique technology companies, no competition. Why do we need to do any marketing? Exactly. You know, we'll just sit back and wait for the orders to roll in almost, yeah? Our product is good enough as it is. We don't need to do right. anything. Yeah. Apart from the typical, oh, we'll publish this and we'll publish that. But then right. they, they forget that actually a lot of their audience will be looking for other types of content or in different places and they won't be looking for a publication all of the time. So it's almost like a bit of tunnel vision almost, you know, I think is from what you're saying. And uh, yeah, you know, we're getting putting better. yourself off from the outside world. Yeah, okay. we're yeah. definitely getting better. I, we're starting to see, and I think LinkedIn has helped with that, I have to say. So right. we're seeing more and more scientists and companies on LinkedIn and their people. And that is definitely helping with people realising what marketing is and why they might need it. And it mm. relates back to the comment I made before where people might, think oh it's just a website and it's just this and actually the whole kind of building their business and a business plan and understanding your target market and your market mapping that is all part of your marketing too so it's understanding that 
that also is what you need to do to do good right. marketing. Yeah, so it's changing attitudes. Okay, so before we even start thinking about spending money, you know, doing on a campaign of some sort, it's all rolling right back to the, to the basics, which is, you know, what's our attitude? What's our view of the world? You know, are we blinking in what we do, really? That's really interesting. Yeah. You mentioned LinkedIn a minute ago. Yes. <laughs> and as I say, you and I were chatting on LinkedIn earlier today. Now, I used to think I was quite active on LinkedIn. <laughs> and I think I probably am compared to some. But you're off the scale in terms of LinkedIn activity. I think I think every time I go on LinkedIn, there's a new post from from you, which I think is exceptional. But let's talk a bit about LinkedIn. So first of all, from a business perspective, you said, I think you said a moment ago, that you see LinkedIn as being really powerful for life science businesses. But why? What is it about LinkedIn that makes it useful? Well, that's an interesting subject. And I think it's seen as much more professional than other platforms. So we tend True. to get a bit yeah. more B2B stuff going on there. But also, obviously, with everything that's happened with Twitter recently, academics and scientists are leaving Twitter in their droves and they want to go somewhere else. And they try other social media platforms like Mastodon, which is way too complex for me. And they kind of test the waters a bit and they might do Reddit, you know, Reddit. Mm. And then they come to LinkedIn and they see that there are other scientists there and it's a different platform nowadays to what you consider five years ago, maybe. And people are becoming much more visible and there's lots of people communicating about science on there. So I think that is changing the way people think and use LinkedIn. Interesting. And I agree with you about Twitter. I, I do have a Twitter account, but I very rarely use it these days because it just, just seems to be a place that people go for a fight exactly. rather than for a discussion. Or, or, yes. or should we call it X now? It's called X, isn't it? Oh, really? yeah. So, so from what you're saying here, so, it, so it's a, a scientist, an academic going onto LinkedIn and using LinkedIn to have a discussion about their science, about their, about their field. So are they doing this in groups in that case or, or just in general posts? I mean, there are groups. I don't think that's as popular as individual posts. And we still have the issue that it's the whole almost confirmation bias because LinkedIn, the academics that don't want to communicate obviously still don't go on there. So Hmm. we often try and communicate through the powers of LinkedIn to the people that aren't on there. If you think about it, it's a little bit crazy because the people Mm, we need to hear aren't coming on LinkedIn. But I guess we have to capture what's there and what's available to us. And that's what LinkedIn allows us to do. But we're definitely seeing, I mean, I've seen, you know, and the CEOs of biotech companies now being much more visible on there. Absolutely. And and, uh, I was was chatting to one this morning, actually, so I I totally subscribe to that. I think LinkedIn was a place that when I went on LinkedIn, 14 years ago, I think it was, it was, of course, I was looking for a job. Exactly. (laughs) And I think probably most of us went on to LinkedIn at that stage to to create our profile. Now, I talk a lot in my sales training um, with companies about using LinkedIn proactively to to prospect and find new customers and new people to sell to. And, and frankly, I do that as well. And one of the questions that comes up a lot is, well, it's my LinkedIn page. It's not the company LinkedIn page. I don't want to put what the company says, or I've been told by my company, I must put this on my LinkedIn page. Now, I've got my views on this, but I, I'm interested to see what your views are, first of all. So in terms of LinkedIn individual pages as opposed to business pages, what are your views as to what individuals should or shouldn't be doing with their LinkedIn page from a marketing perspective? For a personal page, within reason, people should post what they like because okay. at the end of the day, it's a personal page and companies can't control what people do on their personal accounts. 
So I think some try to though, don't absolutely. they? Absolutely. I've been yes, yeah. I have I have <laughs> had this myself. Um, wow. where companies actually want you to send them your post so they can approve it before you put it out on your personal page. And I mean, Gosh. I won't subscribe to that at all. And I don't think anybody else should be told to do that. Interesting. The, the interesting, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, the interesting thing here is that what companies don't realise they're doing is actually pushing their customers away because customers don't want to see boring tone branded tone of voice content 24/7 they do want to see the human element and if right. everyone if everyone talks the same in a company talks in the same voice and the same brand tone and says the same stuff in the end people just switch off and you know whether that's personal business the same thing happens we all know that even you know for you i guess as a salesperson that human element making that connection is so important Absolutely, because in many ways I am the product. Exactly. You know, I don't. Ha- I don't have a, a box of electronics that I sell. I sell me. Yes. <laughs> in terms of the the products and service I deliver, so I I think I, you know, I have to be very personable about what I do on LinkedIn. But I guess if I'm working for a multinational life science sales company, perhaps my freedom of movement is a little bit limited there. Do you think, or is that not the case? I mean, it shouldn't be because if you're not per- posting, you know, really controversial stuff anyway then it it doesn't affect the company. Um, So interestingly, I did notice the other day for the first time ever that someone I follow who works for a big company actually wrote in their headline, opinions are not that of my company, but my own. You know how Twitter, that's quite a big thing on Twitter. So I think we're going to start seeing a lot of that going on on LinkedIn where people say this. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The funny thing is, so companies really want to grow their brands through LinkedIn. So they talk to their employees or their team and they say, oh, you know, we'd really like it if you if you posted more on LinkedIn. And you've got a number of issues here because there are people that just don't want to post on LinkedIn. You can talk to them till the cows come home. They do not want to post on LinkedIn. Sure. And it's not just fear. It's that they don't have the time. They can't be bothered. They don't want to do it. You can't change that. But then as a company, if you want your employees to start getting out there and helping you build your brand, to then restrict them so heavily does the absolute opposite of what you're trying to achieve. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Is it almost like they're becoming like sales bots in that case? Almost, you know, don't want to sort of trivialise it, but if you try and make all your sales team just say and do the same thing on LinkedIn, you all come across as clones almost, really. Yeah, and I think, you know, the problem with this is that with the rise of things like generative AI, people are getting really fed up of things that look the same as everything else. So now, That's a really good point. I didn't consider that, actually. You, yeah, to, of course. You know, I, yeah. I do it myself. I mean, I you can always see when a post is generated by AI. There are some, you know, very big clues in the way that sentence structure works and everything like that. And okay. there's nothing wrong with using AI because it saves you time and everything. But obviously what's happening is a lot of the stuff on LinkedIn is starting to look very similar with templates. And, Fascinating. Yeah. It's becoming more. I like difficult. to experiment with LinkedIn because I think, well, what's the worst that can happen, really? Um, exactly. And and again, again, you know, I do train salespeople to use LinkedIn proactively, and and I, and I say to them, when I started in sales thirty years ago, I would have cut my leg off for for something like LinkedIn because <laughs> you know it's a do-it-yourself prospect list, isn't it? Really, it really but is. It's funny that like my best performing posts are when I put something, I wouldn't say silly, but something slightly left field. I think my best one last year was was, was an April Fool when I said I was quitting to become a full time rock star. <laughs> 
I wish. <laughs> um, and, and, and that was probably my best, best post in terms of engagement. Well, I did to my personal brand. I don't know. But <laughs> well, it's interesting because I find anything that I put that elicits any emotion is really high performing. And often those emotions might not be positive, but right, people yeah. really pushes people to engage because they want to tell you they don't agree with what you've written. Like I absolutely will argue against you. And I love it because to me, it's not an argument. We're having a healthy discussion and a absolutely. debate. And, you know, without that, what is life? Yeah, absolutely. That's the spice of life, doesn't it, really? So. Yeah. So I think what we're really talking about here is a, a personal brand yes. as opposed to a company brand, really. And the mm. personal brand should feed into the company brand but not be owned by the company brand. Yes. Have I got that right? Absolutely, yeah. yes. It should not okay. be owned by the company. Fascinating. I'm sure we'll get some response to this uh, uh, <laughs> by LinkedIn message perhaps or email uh, after, after the show. So let's go back to your business now then and debtor. So in, in regards to the services that you offer to a potential company, is this the sort of thing that you train on in that case, like using LinkedIn or using social media? Yeah. So that's often integrated. It's not. It's right. usually not a separate training course. It's often okay. part of the whole communications and building content. And that's purely because organically, People are just asking for this now. More and more people want to know, what do I do on LinkedIn? How do I, how do I get started on LinkedIn? And also, you know, I'm often asked, how do I deal with my company when they have issues with me posting certain types of content? Right. And just going back to that quickly, I will say, because that's something I really wanted to get out there, that the company Please. LinkedIn, so often companies don't realise that a very small percentage of their market is ready to buy at any one time. So research has shown 3 to 5%, right, which is tiny. Mm -hmm. So the rest yeah. of your market are just in the awareness stage. They're just sure. floating around, seeing you in different places. So your company page doesn't need to be completely sales-focused all the time. You know, talk about okay. things that are in your area, but more from an awareness stage rather than constantly trying to generate leads. Because people are really put off by lead generation stuff. That's really interesting because I see a lot of companies who you seem to use their LinkedIn page to talk about the new product or a new special offer or yes. we're at this exhibition today, come and see us. Yeah. And you're kind of saying that do less of that and do more content type marketing yeah. or, 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 uh, yeah. or post, should I say? And so what sort of things should companies be posting about in that case? They might, they might have written a piece of content, for example, for their website and they can take a snapshot of that and talk about it on their LinkedIn. Also, companies do have to develop a personality, and I think that's what we're lacking in businesses. So there's a fear, a huge fear of having a, a personality on a business page, but that's what engages your customers. So we're seeing companies like Genscript. I don't okay. know if you're familiar with them. So they do lots of polls, um, different types of, types of content relating to white papers, but they also post funny lab-based memes that are hugely popular. And I mean, if you see the amount of likes and engagement they get, it's absolutely insane for a business page. What's the company again? Genscript. Genscript. Okay. Yes, I'll, and someone I'll immediately did, follow them after this interview. They're great. <laughs> and someone did recently tell me about Unchained Labs, and I have to say they're also very good because they use humour. So I know Unchained Labs because they bought a company that I did training with uh, last year, but we won't go into specifics, obviously. But I'm certainly aware of Unchained Labs. Yes. So, so they use humour in their uh, Yeah, and it's very posts. successful. Again, and I think that's what we need to remember is that people want to see that a business has a personality. 
I'm just trying to think how that would have worked out for some of the mega corporations I work for. And again, I won't name names, but people can look at my, my career history on, on LinkedIn if they want to know more. But I would think some of the really big companies I work, work for and in the industry would probably struggle with this kind of thing. Is, this, is there a size dimension here in what you're saying? At yeah, all? we definitely see like large corporations do struggle with this. I mean, Genscript is pretty right. big and they're still doing this. They're a global company. But yeah, we definitely see that bigger corporations are less likely to use things like humour. And I'm not sure why that is. I have no answer for that. I mean, I, I don't know why they would be any different. Yeah, but I think you're right, you know, uh, and uh, perhaps we should ask them. <laughs> yeah. Get them on, get them yeah, on the podcast another day. Yeah, maybe they can give day, us some so. feedback. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about LinkedIn, what, but what other avenues are there or routes are there to market that you, you work in and you train on? So my big area is communication, the strategy, so the early on part of your marketing. And that tends to be where you get the most value because what happens is you go into a company and often they're already at the point where they're spending lots of money on these various different tactics. So advertising, um, SEO, which, you know, I'm a fan of and their website and yeah, all these other types of marketing. And Let's just go back to what you just said a second, Martin. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, but I know what you mean by SEO. Yeah. <laughs> With the greatest respect to some of the listeners on the on the show, they may not know what we mean by SEO. So yes. just in, a, in, a, in 30 seconds or so, what is SEO? It's search engine optimization. And it's okay. generally, it means making sure your content is visible online. Right. So make it Google friendly. Google friendly well, or, or being any search engine. But yes, Google True. is yeah. the dominant player. Now you can pay to do that. That's what paid ads are. So pay per click in Google. So you know when you yeah. Google a search term, the first two things that come up. But SEO is about free traffic. So that means... Right. Organic traffic, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Organic. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And is that something that you can outsource to somebody or is it something you have to learn yourself to do? You can do both. But there comes right. a point where, you know, you might be wanting to generate a lot of content and you might outsource the writing part and you'll want someone that's familiar with those SEO processes when they do your right. writing. But yes, I mean, it is something that I train on quite a lot, actually. And okay. SEO training seems to be more popular in larger companies. And I guess that's not a surprise given that they've got bigger marketing teams and they might not have yes. that specialism in-house. Got you. Yeah, makes mm. sense. So SEO you know, is, is a service that you would do. What about things like uh, campaign design or campaign structure? Is that something you work in as well? Yeah. So I so I cover all of these different areas of marketing when it comes to training. So what I would say is, for me, what I found being out there and doing some market research is people don't want a generalized marketing course because for that, they will go to someone like the Chartered Institute of Marketing. Of course, yeah. What I'm here for, having the science background, is for very customised training. And the reason it's so heavily based on content is because, I guess, as a scientist, that's where that's where the benefit lies. Because I've had experience in the lab. You know, I might understand parts of the lab workflows that others might not. Sure. Um, that's why so, the content so tends to be a bigger area. Got you. So it's more the understanding of the business, understanding of the use of the products and how they're used. Yes. Allows you to empathise more with the customer's requirements. I guess it's a similar argument as we say on our sales training. We 
we've all sold scientific equipment, so we know a little bit about what's gold, exactly. what's involved. And, and the same for you. You've done life science marketing, so you understand yes. what's involved. Exactly. Fascinating. Yeah. Recently, I have Carry been on. asked, interestingly, to train a sales team, but not in sales techniques, to train them about how to speak science. So this is a growing oh, wow. part of my business. Tell bus- me more. This is a growing part of the business now. So okay. this came out of nowhere and it seems to be growing in demand. So basically bigger companies that employ, you know, let's say a salesperson who comes from undergrad. So they have some scientific knowledge, but they may never have been in the lab and don't understand the kind of ins and outs of a lab workflow. They might be going out and selling products. Now, of course, sales is all about listening. It's not about talking, right? We know that. Absolutely. But what happens (laughs) is when the customer or potential customer comes back asking questions, they just freeze because they don't know the answers. They don't understand the products. They haven't preempted what the challenges might already be in that workflow and kind of researched what they, they might need to say to help. So I am now going into companies and helping them with that side of things, the actual science. Fascinating. There's a real overlap, I think, there, Martine, about what you do and what we do. Perhaps we should chat about that off- yes. offline. <laughs> yes, I was thinking that. <laughs> so... As a final question from me, if I may, um, so you've started your business now. You've obviously you know, got your growing uh, client base. Where do you see the world of marketing going, say, in three years' time, five years' time? If you know, if we were fast-forwarding this conversation now and having this podcast in five years' time, what kind of things do you think we might be talking about then, I if think, you had a crystal ball? I mean, <laughs> without just naturally, I think we're heading towards much more automation and sure. AI. You know, we can't ignore that. Um, no, of course. And at the moment, AI isn't that great when it comes to science. Most of the time there's incorrect facts and it's just it's not structured very well. But I think that is going to change. And also one of the big, big changes that is happening very soon is Google is changing the structure of its search engine. And that is going to change how wow. people travel from the search engine to your website and is probably going to decrease the number of people that go from the search engine results to your website. So there are some big changes coming. That's going to put a lot of companies into a tailspin when they suddenly start saying, our, our visit rates dropped and our click-through rates dropped and all those things, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, but as long as you, you, know keep, that getting, for a fact, as long yeah? as you keep getting the revenue, those things are irrelevant. That's true. So you've yeah, just got you to find new ways. Clicks, and you know that is a definite thing that's, that Google's definitely working on. You're it's already, aware of it. already rolled out in the U.S., Wow. Yes, so we have seen hints of what the search engine results now look like. And obviously, you probably guessed, the first part is generative AI. So answers are put right in front of you on the top part of the page, which of course means your query is answered immediately. You might not go to the website to have your query answered anymore. Gosh. Yes. Wow. So that's going to well, you heard them. it here, for folks, on this podcast for the first time. <laughs> Get ready. There's a big change to Google coming down the pipeline. So make sure you're ready for it. So, Martin, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today and I've learned loads um, about the world of marketing. So, for any potential customer of yours listening to the podcast, where is the best place for people to go and find out more about what you and Debtor do? So, best place is to come to my LinkedIn. Most of my information is there. There's a link to my website. And there is actually a link to book a discovery call, which is just a half an hour, very informal chat about what we can do for you. Right. And is that your personal LinkedIn page or the business LinkedIn page? Both. Both. Okay. 
So just to make it clear for everybody, that's Debtor Consult is the name of the business, and you're Martina Neville, PhD, yes. on uh, on LinkedIn. So uh, where do you think you'll be in the next three or four years' time? Where do you think your business is going to go to? Interesting. Yeah, it's not going to be an agency. I'll put that out there right now because I get that question wow. all okay. the time. I don't want to be an agency. Ideally, the training will be the only thing that we do at that point. So the wow. idea is the company will be solely training. Yeah, I got that loud and clear from looking at your material that you weren't an agency. So I made sure I didn't yes, say agency no, on the introduction. <laughs> it's a question I get asked all the time. Absolutely. Fully understand that one. Again, Martina, thanks so much for being on the show today. So if you've enjoyed the podcast today, folks, thanks for listening in. This is a podcast that comes out once every two weeks. So our next show will be myself and my colleagues, Jonathan and Prue, where we'll be chatting about all things sales related. My next interview guest will be in a month's time, and that will be a guy called Luke Evans. Luke runs a company called Headway, and our chat will be all about the world of mental health and mental fitness, which I'm sure many of you will find of interest. So make sure you subscribe to the show. Please review us as well if you use Apple or Spotify. The review does help us in lots of mysterious ways, so we really would like you to give us a nice review if you've enjoyed the show. In the meantime, folks, have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon.